So, Minister Tara Chain, you are the member for Ginindera. You're the Minister for Arts, Minister for Business and Better Regulation, Minister for Human Rights, Minister for Multicultural Affairs, Assistant Minister for Economic Development. Now, this podcast is actually a covert operation to check in on your welfare. <laughs> are you getting any sleep? Yes. <laughs> when she says that so affirmatively. Now, now. Uh, how are you on earth? Do you have six portfolios? Well, how, how do you do this? Um, with an amazing team. Oh. Um, and uh, I think the, the Chief Minister says this a lot and he's right, but we are nothing without the people around us. And I mean that both in terms of my staff in my own office, but also across the ACT government, mm. in the directorates, hugely supported um, by so many staff, but also by my cabinet colleagues and my Labor colleagues as well. There's a lot of real recognition that we're a small parliament. Okay. Uh, we've got a lot to do. Yeah. Everyone's got a lot of portfolios and we all look um, to how we can support each other. So. Uh, it is a lot. I'm not yeah. going to deny that, but um, I'm very lucky to be so supported um, right across the board. So in terms of having these six portfolios, and they're big portfolios, I mean, human rights, multicultural affairs, arts, business, and like these are big, they're not little tiny things that you can put to the side. How do you manage your day to day? Like what's involved when you will go to work of a day? Like what's your day look like? That is a great question. I don't think any two days are the same, uh, to be honest. And I think uh, it can be easy with so many portfolios to feel like you're really across mm. them all, but there might be one uh, that you uh, perhaps not drop a ball, but go, oh, um, that, that issue that mm. um, I thought I had a lot of time uh, to get ready for or um, to think about, suddenly the deadline is is right yeah. on me. So just having that visibility all the time uh, of things that are coming up is really important. Um, of course, our, our weeks are dictated by sitting weeks, mm. uh, which aren't always, um, but when they are, they provide a really different rhythm to the weeks, uh, as well as cabinet, uh, which is most weeks usually okay. on a, a Monday or a Wednesday for several hours. And, and when you say cabinet, that's when all the ministers get together with the chief minister exactly. and just, you know, huddle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. make decisions. Um, and uh, particularly budget cabinet mm. uh, is another part of that process as well. So um, talking about what are our priorities, where are we going to spend the money? Are yeah. we going to spend extra? Are we going to collect more revenue from somewhere? You know, making those decisions mm -hmm. together uh, can be an iterative process as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, those things take time. But I think perhaps what doesn't get as much recognition is the preparation time as well. That often the, you know, these have germinated. Some ideas okay. have started in a directorate. Uh, or directed by a minister, but some of them are years before they get to cabinet for a final decision. Oh, wow. uh, and then even for the ministers, the time that it takes to, to get across sometimes briefs are several hundred okay. pages. So lots of reading, <coughs> lots, lots of reading. and lots of reading. And so your day varies week to week. So there's no two days of the same. You're not going into work, cabinet meeting, and then we go to parliament to do some, some votes. There's nothing like that. You just, it could all be different. In a sitting week, um, there is a pretty set rhythm. Uh, so the, the cabinet meeting would usually be on the Monday okay. and then sitting days are Tuesday to Thursday. Oh. Uh, and then Friday's kind of recovery yeah. <laughs> for everybody. Um, but when it's a not sitting week, um, there's a lot more uh, constituent engagement, uh, stakeholder meetings, a lot of events. And I think uh, yes. that, that's very typical of yes. my portfolio mix is lots of stakeholders, lots of events and lots yeah. of really fun events I have to say as well because well, I remember seeing you at the <coughs> women's international day and you that mm. was and I when I saw you it was like 
two, three o'clock in the afternoon and you said that was your fourth event of the day. That's exactly like, oh right. Good memory. God. It's like how, how, how is that even a possibility? <laughs> that, that, that was on the extreme end. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a big weekend. But of course, you know, International Women's yes. Day and, um, and such a great reflection across the community of so many people holding mm. events and encouraging women to get together and um, – being able to show my support uh, mm. was just such a pleasure. But mm. Uh, mm. Uh, we'll admit by about 4.30, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's ready to put my head on a pillow. Yeah, no, and, and I don't blame you at all. And so with – because this has always come across my mind. Because a minister like yourself has so much responsible, six portfolios, do you guys – and I know because Canberra is a small government, so that's why many ministers, like you said before – have multiple portfolios. Mm. How do you divide your time? Is it based on what's the urgency? Is it based on what the budget is? That can, like, how do you divide your time? It's a really good question. Um, I'm not sure I figured it out okay. yet, uh, if I'm <laughs> that's perfectly honest. honest with you. Yeah, that's honest. Um, it, it does really depend. Um, sometimes um, something uh, unexpectedly demands mm. a lot of attention uh, and they can be really challenging moments. We've also got to make sure you're paying attention yeah. um, to other things as well. Um, but uh, sometimes it is just about uh, the urgency, mm. uh, but also uh, things become urgent if you're not um, spending enough time on them in the first place. So okay. I do yeah. really, um, uh, I've, I've always kind of operated on a, an email system, mm-hmm. um, um, things that are unread um, mean they, they need me to, to action them. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, a pretty effective way to to, um, to sort your emails, look at what's unread and kind of get a picture of, of what's there. Okay. But we also have regular meetings with my staff. Um, uh, so I meet with them a few times a week, um, but they also meet uh, each morning to talk about um, what's going on um, for them and we're in regular communication through okay. um, Microsoft Teams or WhatsApp. Okay. Uh, so a lot of fluidity. All right. Um, but, okay. But constantly information sharing, I suppose, okay. and, and that helps um, direct priorities and reset uh, right. if we need to. So de- demand depending, that's how it's kind of balanced out in terms of the portfolios. Yeah, yeah. and okay. I think with sitting weeks as well, we know when they are, which is helpful. Yeah. So you can plan backwards um, okay. from that and go, okay, we've got a sitting week in three weeks' time, so this is the week to start um, you know, directing a, a, an agency about we need an update to some question time mm. briefs for example mm. um, okay. so just trying to build in as much time as possible okay. otherwise you're just running around like a, a headless yes, truck. Yeah. yeah absolutely and do you because you said before you get to choose your staff but you know like when you get appointed to a ministerial a ministerial position do you get like an advisor do you get a chief of staff do you get a butler do you get like a <laughs> on-demand concierge like are you expect that at least you know <laughs> like any of those perks um so we get a few staff yeah <laughs> Uh, so as a, a minister, I've uh, got a chief of staff and then um, four advisors who uh, also okay. have a, an office manager and electorate officer function as well, uh, together with a, a media advisor. And um, uh, quite a few of my staff, um, I say quite a few, there's only five, but um, uh, two of my staff uh, were with me when I was a, a backbencher. So um, they've been with me now four or five years. Wow. Uh, which is That's great. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and it's wonderful to kind of share yes. that journey with them as well. And my chief of staff is uh, someone 
who um, was in a team that I led about 10 years ago. And I remember at the time, you know, I really saw him as a, an up-and-comer and I just made sure I kept in touch wow. with him because I, I really thought, you know, that I'd hoped that we would work together one day. And uh, when I became minister, I was really lucky that he said yes oh to Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. brilliant. So, so, that, so there's no butlers, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no on-demand coffee, so that's a bit sad. <laughs> okay. Now tell me, I'm really interested to know, Minister, anyone who wants to go and pursue your profession, being a Minister mm. of the Government, could you give us just like step by step? How do would you? How would someone listening right now pursue that? Like do you put your hand up and join a party first? Mm. Do you go and for pre-selection? How does pre-selection? What is all of these terms? How do you become... Tara Chain, how does anyone become a minister? Oh, that's a, a really good question and uh, this might take up the, the rest of no, the time. No, that's good, that's good. Um, so, I'll, uh, see if we can start from the beginning. Uh, I would say the, the starting point is to have a desire to serve mm-hmm. and a love for your community. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what really was happening for me probably about 10 years or 11 years ago now uh, and that I'd, I'd moved to Canberra in 2008. I'd um, joined the Labor Party in 2007, so in my final year of uh, university, which was also the year that Kevin Rudd uh, became Prime Minister. Oh, wow. So really seminal mm. point for the nation mm. and also for me as a 20-year-old as I was then. Uh, moved to Canberra and to be honest I didn't like it when I first moved here I was really lonely yes I didn't um, uh, I'd, I'd made friends through my graduate program mm. um, but I had all these friends back in Queensland who I missed and um, it wasn't really until I just kind of uh, embraced it that I suddenly understood what Canberra was all about and that also coincided with me moving to Belconnen and It's still hard for me to explain to this day, but that's really when Canberra started to make sense to me and the extraordinary um, beauty of this city Mm -hmm. and its people and its progressive ideals Mm -hmm. and what can be done as a small jurisdiction. And uh, that all started to... um, uh, A a few things all happened at once, I suppose, or or around uh, the same period of time. Um, there was a, a huge surge of Canberra pride leading up to the 100th anniversary of mm. the city, the centenary celebrations. Uh, I also started a blog called In the Tara Tree, mm. uh, which was about things to do in and around Canberra, a bit egotistical name really. Um, <laughs> but I, I did that because I was having a great time doing really interesting things that I thought were a bit hidden gem and I wanted to, to share with other people what I was doing. I also started getting involved in the Belconnen Community Council because I um, really cared about Belconnen mm-hmm. and um, yeah. really cared about its future and wanted to be involved in that conversation. Uh, and I was in a um, in a job where I guess I always thought that I was going to be someone behind the scenes in an advisory capacity and, and that's what I'd been doing for a few uh, years and I, I ended up in a job where suddenly I had a quite a big team to manage and I never thought that I'd be a natural at that but I loved it okay. and it also just gave me a lot of confidence that perhaps I didn't need to be the advisor, perhaps I could be the leader. Yeah. Um, 
and so I've got a lot of people to thank uh, and who supported me and gave me opportunity and space and mm. believed in me all around the same time. Um, and I know that's not going to be everyone's journey, so I just really want to acknowledge yeah. how lucky uh, I was that, that all those things really happened at once. But I think that started to crystallise for me that I loved Canberra and while I loved my public service job, I really felt like I was doing a lot of, in terms of giving back to the community. I became chair of the Belconnen Community Council. I felt I'd kicked some goals, mm. but I wanted to do more. Mm -hmm. And I'd been really inspired by hearing um, Penny Wong, um, I think. I think I'd heard this story second or third hand, but she'd once said you know, that um, she'd watched people, she'd been picketing maybe, um, I'll have to look this story up properly, <laughs> whatever it was, it made a huge impression for me, but she'd been you know, picketing and watched all these people walk by her into yeah. a room and make a decision and she with other people was left outside the room and that she realised she needed to be in the room uh, mm. to, to make um, to be part of yeah. that decision making and that really spoke to me and so I thought actually I, I think I want to run so that's kind of where wow. all the, 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 the background story for me but the nuts and bolts of, of being pre-selected or um, is that the path you want to go down so pre-selection is um, when you're in a party mm -hmm. and so I'd obviously been a member of um, uh, the Labor Party for some time uh, felt very strong Labor values Pre-selection uh, is a process where you nominate within your party uh, and uh, they essentially elect you to be so their members, candidate. So members elect one another? So peers? Yeah, that's okay. right. So okay. we call it rank and file. Okay. Um, so the rank and file members okay. uh, have their say. And um, so it, it's important, I think, if you're in a party that um, – people know you mm. uh, because it can be really hard to come from no base okay. and just say, hi, I'd like to run. And people say, well, I don't know anything about what you stand <laughs> for enough. or your yeah. background or where you want to take things yeah. and how you would represent us. Mm. So um, I'd certainly been working um, with the party for a long time and um, I suppose, to be quite honest, building my profile yeah. so that people knew what I stood for and, um, yeah, put my hand up. Good and um, But pre-selection was... Not as hard as the election, but it was still pretty hard. Is it, was, it, really? it was a contest. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, because I I think it's um, th we had six people vying for five positions, oh. and that's hard. That's even harder in some so ways. So it's internal campaigning. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So lots of phone calls, house visits, handwritten letters, really um, panels. Wow. Yeah. So the party is really vigorous about it, which I think should give should, a lot yeah. of assurance yeah. uh, to the community about people who mm. want to be your candidate go through a really intense process yeah. um, and they really want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough and, to go through and that. And the, the, um, the membership of the party really want them ultimately. I guess that pre-selection process of handwriting, handwritten notes and, you know, door knocking and visiting people is really great training ground for the actual campaign that you're going to have to pursue. I think that's, gr I think that's great preparation. It is. Yeah. It is. You've got it spot on. Okay. And I I'm, I'm feel lucky uh, okay. that I'd had that, even though at the end of that few months I was uh, honestly exhausted and it come at a really difficult personal time for me. Oh. My dad had just died. Oh. Um, so emotionally yeah. I was really wrecked. Yeah. Um, but 
it also buoyed me in a way that I thought, well, if I can do that, mm. hopefully I can yeah. um, do a campaign. That's 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 exceptional. Um, I mean, the, just the fact that you said that your father passed away in the midst of all of that, yeah. I, I think that's the hardest part for anyone when they're pursuing something in a leadership role and then to not share that with your parents, I mm. think, because they're the ones who gave you that leverage, they gave you that profile in the beginning, that ability, the capability. Yeah. And so I can understand that the emotional strain that would have had. Um, oh, God. Yeah, no, it was, it was <laughs> wow. rough. It was rough. And wow. I think as well that I had... Um, uh, you know, it's common um, being scared of failure and, mm, and mm. elections and pre-selections yeah. are quite public failures, yes. to be honest. Yes. You know, uh, everyone finds out your fate at the yeah. same time as you do. You yeah. know, there's very few other jobs like mm. that. Uh, usually it's a pretty private process when you find out if you're uh, selected or not. Um, and so I think with my parents... Uh, they had an inkling that I was interested, but I'd really played it down quite mm. a bit. And it wasn't really until the final weeks that my dad was alive that I even oh. uh, mentioned that I was oh, interested in being a politician. God. And uh, I think he was like, oh, interesting. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it's heavy it, duty. Yeah. Oh. It's, um, yeah, I wish he'd been of course. Uh, part of it, mm. but it is what it is. It is what it is. Well, you're, you're doing your best to, to give you him the best of legacies yeah, in you. I would hope so. In you. Absolutely. And so, once pre-selection finalises and you get nominated, then what happens? Uh, so that was uh, – that was. Uh, I'm just drawing on the time frame here. I think it's important. Uh, it was probably around no- late November uh, 2015. Okay. So the election was in late October 2016. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, essentially yeah. the campaign starts. Wow. And again – being perfectly candid here, yeah. in some ways it's very difficult to know where to start. Yeah. And um, I, uh, this often surprises people, but I'm quite shy. And uh, and door knocking, you know, I really oh. procrastinated with that for uh, many months. Mm. And uh, it wasn't, you know, again, uh, being in a party is, is um, amazing for a whole lot of reasons, but I had some great support, including some... Um, some uh, leaders in the party, I, yeah. I guess you could say, who sat me down and said, Tara, uh, you really need to just get <laughs> something in your hand. It doesn't yeah. even have to be you know, fancily done, but yeah. you just need a flyer that okay. you can hand to people okay. and your voice and just get out there okay. and start knocking on doors. And that was great advice. Mm. I still procrastinated for a few more weeks after that, I'm sure. Yeah. And I, I remember... My first day door knocking that I just sat in my car like 20 minutes going, oh, I don't know if I can. Um, And I think no one answered the first door. The second door I had a bit of a chat and the third door um, I'd done a few mobile offices already where you stand at a shopping centre and I I knocked on the door and, and these people I'd never met opened the door and said, we've been waiting for you. <gasps> oh, and that how was, lovely. Yeah. Oh, so they'd seen me at the shops. That's beautiful. And, yeah, they were excited to be door knocked. Oh. Uh, and I've never forgotten that conversation. I saw them at the shops oh. just this past weekend oh. and, and still see them regularly. I'm not sure that they'll ever really know uh, and I'm not sure I can ever really express what oh. an impact they had on, on me. Mm. Um, but after that, then I knocked on 10,000 more doors. 
Um, not to say that there were times, you know, of even course. late in the campaign where I was still sitting in the car going, I've got to get out <laughs> of the car and start knocking. Um, but once you do, you know, the most extraordinary conversations and I think uh, it's something that I know my colleagues and I all really value the, the privilege of this job that uh, you quickly sometimes go from uh, just meeting someone to in a few minutes they're sharing something with wow. you that's deeply personal um, and in some cases they haven't told many people or anyone uh, before. Mm. And um, uh, just meeting people is one of the um, benefits but also the personal privileges of this job. And uh, it was it was an amazing time. Very cold. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Canberra, very, very is, cold. Canberra is very cold. Yeah, Canberra yeah. really doesn't heat up until yeah, no. election day. <laughs> That's such a good way of saying it, yes. (laughs) That's true. It was hard. But did you get anyone like slamming the door on your face, just being rude, just for just the sake of being rude? Um, uh, There's a few that stand out, but but not many. There's one that particularly stands out in that uh, most of the conversations I had by far were just extraordinarily positive. People really wanted to have a a good chat, Uh, even if they – uh, weren't going to vote for me or mm. gave me a bit mm. of a hard time. Mm. I remember one fellow at the end said, you know, it was a 45-minute conversation. He'd said at the beginning he didn't vote for Labor and I said, yeah. why not? We had yeah. a long conversation and um, at the end of that he said, look, I'm still not going to vote for you but this is a, the rest of my household are Labor voters and oh. I'm going to tell them that they should vote for you. Oh, <laughs> so that's great. That, that was, that was that's a telling positive. story. Yeah. That's positive. So, see, that's really amazing. So once you go and you, and you do that, you do your door knocking, you do your mobile, um, your mobile setups and where you sit outside a shopping centre and you're, you know, like you're answering questions, then people go and vote and then that's up to, their, to the votes, right, as to whether you get elected. And that's it? Yeah, that's basically it. So uh, a phenomenon um, that's increasing in ACT and now federal elections is the idea of pre-poll. So the weeks before the election day Mm. where voting opens and originally it was for people who couldn't get Mm. along on election day, um, but uh, there wasn't a very high threshold of proving that you couldn't get along (laughs) on election day. So uh, more and more people were taking advantage of that and we've seen, you know, numbers close to 50%. So um, once pre-poll opens and it's three weeks before election day in the ACT, that's a really intense period as well because as you're door knocking, more and more people have already voted. Okay. Uh, or they tell you they've voted, <laughs> even if they maybe haven't because they just don't want to have the yeah, conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the, the utility of door knocking starts to rapidly okay. decrease. Okay. Um, so uh, a lot of the work needs to be done before then as well. All right. And when you door knock, you're saying, just from an entrepreneur perspective, are you saying, hi, I'm Tara, I'm running for the Labor seat in your area, can we have a chat? Is that what you're, how you're starting it off? Yeah, exactly. I think okay. probably... In 2016, because I was so new and really introducing myself to people, uh, I had my my opening line down to maybe 15 seconds okay. because you've really got to get yeah. across a lot quickly, but not too much, um, but just enough so that they know who you are, why you're there and whether they want to engage with you or not. Mm. And so I'd often just make sure I got to a point where here's some information about okay. me, happy to answer any questions and then people go, okay, thanks, close okay. the door, or, 
all right, oh, well, you're here, let's have a chat. Okay. So it gave people that option. Yeah. Whereas in 2020, I um, I knew a lot of the people I was mm. door knocking because I was back. Mm. Uh, and this time I was, um, I knew and had been part of developing a lot of the policies. Okay. So uh, a lot more of that was, I want to tell you about this initiative mm. or have you heard about yeah. and having that conversation. Okay. And so, and when you were doing this, obviously the first time around, you were still in a full-time job and mm-hmm. going for election. So you're doing a full-time job and going for pre-selection and then campaigning for the real deal. So I took leave. Okay. Uh, so I could... So uh, you could pursue it. Yeah, right. campaign full-time. Okay. So um, it was probably early August that I took leave. So I was on leave for 10 weeks. Wow, okay. Um, campaigning every Makes day. Sense. Well, it, it worked out. <laughs> it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. And so once – when you get into office and you're finally elected, right, do you get training? A little bit, yeah. Yeah? yeah okay, great. So, so they show you the ropes. They show you this is how you write an email. <laughs> Uh, As a minister, no. How, what do they do? What kind of training is um, it? So the 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 assembly um, give you like new MLA training or okay. baby MLA training, uh, right. where they um, talk you through. Again, I guess I often refer to it as the rhythm of Parliament, mm. but I I mean that because there's certain things that always happen. Um, okay. and things to look out for. And um, so you learn a bit about question time, how to ask a question right. um, that you need to stand okay. um, to um, be given the call. So um, the formalities are introduced to you. Yeah, right. exactly. Okay. Uh, and an office is set up. Um, uh, that took a little bit of extra time for me because it was 2016 was when the assembly expanded from 17 to 25. Mm. And... Um, so my office wasn't built uh, by the the time I was elected. So I I was in a, a few different meeting rooms as my oh, office wow. for the first few weeks. Okay. Um, so it was great to finally move into <laughs> yeah. uh, a real office. Mm. Yeah, mm. Um, and and yeah, just hiring staff and uh, very quickly the the invitations start coming in and the opportunities to meet yes. and a lot of community groups aren't asking anything of you initially but want you to be aware of what they do. Okay. And so there's lots and lots of meetings really early on. So how do you balance, Minister, how do you balance portfolio work versus being a member of that territory, Jinindera, for example? Like mm. how are you – like do you do – I mean, I don't know. How do you balance that? It's difficult. It, yeah. it is difficult. And I think uh, it's probably one of the most challenging things yeah. I've found going from a backbencher to being a minister mm. in that I felt or at least I hoped I'd really established myself as um, as a local member mm. and I'd really followed in the footsteps of my predecessor, Mary Porter, um, who had just developed this uh, incredible reputation for um, being able to listen, get results, um, engage with the community. And I'd moulded myself really okay. after her and it was extraordinarily encouraging for me that so many people... Um, felt that they had a similar relationship to me as Mary. No one will ever replace Mary. Mm. She was one of a kind. But Mm. I felt I did get a lot of that constituent contact. Um, And I still do to this day, which I really encourage and appreciate. But I've also got all these other portfolios as well. So having to balance that uh, a little bit better and just be 
perhaps a little bit more discerning with my time Mm. Um, and sometimes I'm just not able to meet as early as I'd like to um, with any stakeholder just simply because other people have already gone in first. I think even organising this this today um, took us a few months. 100%. And so are you able to uh, like – because it's the five staff that you have, are you able to give them some responsibility in terms of, look, can you go to these constituents, find out what's going on, or the member, can you do a stand-up mobile little flight just to get to know what's happening in the community? Can you do that? Yeah, so um, uh, if I'm if I'm around and I'm available, yeah. I will go. Okay. Uh, that is always the priority. Yeah. Um, but if there's something that I, I can't move... Yes. Um, or I'm away, um, my staff are fantastic in, in stepping up as well, um, or I might just reach out to someone um, who run an event separately and catch up with them afterwards okay. if, I, if I need to. I think as well a lot of people get in touch with um, ministerial officers wanting a meeting with the minister mm. because they go from, you know, I need to get this sorted yeah, and the minister yeah, will yeah. fix it. But yeah. sometimes the, the right conversation to have um, – uh, if I'm not available, could be with an advisor okay. uh, or it could be with the directorate who just might be able to get them that quick yeah. answer quickly. And I uh, I would always prefer to meet with people myself and, and have that conversation sure. and understand it. But I think it's you know tri- trying to understand the nub of the issue and, mm. and um, directing it to the right line um, uh, and in a way that, that's still really respectful as well um, yeah. because it, it's not a – certainly never a fob off or no, anything no, like that. No, no, yeah, no, totally. I'm trying to get a result yes, for you yeah. and I think this is the quickest path. Yeah, fair enough. For, and speaking of the quickest path, um, <laughs> we've recently just had federal elections and Labor has just won the federal yeah. election. And I, I'm wanting to know, like, you know, when – was there like when you guys went in the, to the office – because you guys are a Labor government in Canberra. The federal government will have one being a Labor government. Do you guys go in on a Monday morning like doing high fives and singing, you know, we did it, we did it, yeah. <laughs> Is it high? Like what goes on? Like what happened the morning of or the morning after the first working day winning the federal elections? Like oh. you're the boss of Canberra and now you're the boss of the old country. <laughs> we can do anything we want. <laughs> Oh, not quite like that. Not quite like that. I think we're we're very respectful uh, of uh, the the seriousness of the role. Um, and and but yes, the mandate uh, mm. that we have been given as a party nationally, and uh, this is a really different time for us. Mm. Uh, I've only been in the ACT Parliament in government, and I've uh, only been in government, whether as a backbencher or as a minister, while yeah. the federal government has been the other party yeah. um, uh, or the, the, the Liberal National Coalition. And so this is a different era for me. Mm-hmm. And I think the chief minister as well, the entire time he's been chief minister, yes. has been <laughs> not with the Labor government in power. So it, in some ways it remains to be seen a little bit, but already we've just got a much better better, stronger, more open working relationship. So that's the difference. When you have the federal, that's the same party as the state or territory. It's just there's more better communication. That's what's... Well, five weeks in, okay. yes. Okay. <laughs> that's certainly okay. What, it, what it's feeling like. Okay. Um, right. But in terms of did we come in and high-five each other, I think <laughs> that actually happened probably the Saturday night. Oh, so did it okay? Oh, good. There's a big party right. and, and and everyone's having, having parties. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, you know that some parties are going to have a different mood uh, mm-hmm. to others, and um, 
but there is something really special of being part of a result that um, changes things and changes them in your favour. And uh, there there haven't been too many Labor governments... um, that have uh, that have won mm. um, from an opposition. Um, so last one, Kevin Rudd, of course. Yeah. Um, but a long time uh, before that, it was Hawke. Uh, so uh, it's rare that this opportunity comes around, and I'm um, really lucky that in my life that I've been part of uh, two election campaigns mm. where we've seen a change nationally. Yeah. And um, and watching what that does, you know, that, that basically cemented me for life with yeah. the party. <laughs> Uh, and so I can't wait to see what the, the next generation who Definitely. Um, worked so hard for our federal result come through with Definitely. next. And, and especially because the the only seat that was held by the Liberal Party federal seat uh, by Zed Zeljo, who's now been unseated and it's been taken over by David Pocock, who is an independent. Mm. What does that mean for the government in Canberra now that David Pocock holds that seat, this independent Senate seat, and there's no Liberal influence? What does that mean? It's a great question uh, and something that I think we're all still getting our heads around yeah. um, with the uh, the result only being formalised, uh, uh, what, eight days ago. Mm, um, so yeah. it, it looked very likely uh, for a few weeks, but uh, now it's definite. Um, for me, it's a... It's almost a, a period of mixed emotions, which has surprised me uh, greatly because I think for a, a long time I'm very passionate about territory rights. This has been uh, something that I campaigned on in 2016, especially mm-hmm. with the death of my dad uh, and that I, I drove um, right throughout my last term in Parliament. Now I'm the minister responsible for end-of-life policy. So this is feels like a real opportunity Um, and I'm really grateful uh, that we've had such strong support from our federal Labor members locally on this issue for so long Um, and it has really been um, for me that that Zed has been um, the the key roadblock uh, and the the frustration for me and I said that territory rights would be an election issue and it was Mm. and I think it crystallised for a lot of people that there was actually someone standing in their way of what 80 to 90% of Canberrans want to have as a policy, which is such a high amount. Um, and uh, But I think for me where so much of my frustration and effort and anger in some ways has been directed for so long, for that to then not be there mm. is... Uh, <laughs> is taking a little time yeah. to to get used to and, okay. and get my head around this is this might not be a fight anymore this mm. might actually become reality okay. and and so as a result uh, one of the first things uh, the chief minister and I did after the the federal election was uh, task my directorate to start the background policy work right. on voluntary assisted dying policy okay because we think it's it's looking pretty likely that territory rights will be restored uh, and then there's a, a high and a justified expectation from the community that we get on with it. Okay. So when you said restored, it was once law in Canberra? Mm. So uh, we've got a self-government act, yeah. as does the Northern Territory. So okay. uh, the ACT and the Northern Territory are not enshrined in the constitution like the states are. So to establish us as self-governing territories, mm-hmm. the Commonwealth created federal legislation mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. So there's the Self-Government Act of the ACT, Self-Government Act of the Northern Territory. In 
1996, early 1997, the federal government, um, uh, which was, uh, but this was driven at the time by a, a, a backbencher uh, called Kevin Andrews, uh, he um, came along and said, look, uh, the, the territories look like they're going to be legalising voluntary assisted dying and Northern Territory then did okay. and I guess back in the mid-1990s, voluntary assisted dying was a pretty new concept globally mm. and uh, he, I think quite paternalistically really said, I don't like this, mm. uh, I think the territories are going too far made some sanctity of life arguments uh, and proposed a piece of legislation that the government then brought on for a vote. And what the legislation did is it inserted clauses into both of those self-government acts that banned both the ACT and the Northern Territory from being able to legislate for voluntary assisted dying. Um, And I think that was something that wasn't very well known until even you know six or so years ago uh, and that's when I think a lot of people had started saying to me Tara you know the ACT is such a progressive jurisdiction why has there been no movement on mm. voluntary assisted dying not realizing that 20 years beforehand we'd right. been stopped okay and it's just a, a few clauses in the legislation they can be deleted with another wow. amendment from the, yeah. the federal parliament and uh, there's been numerous attempts mm. uh, over the years, usually in the Senate, uh, including by Katie Gallagher, but also by Andrew Lee, uh, to introduce legislation to mm-hmm. try and get it changed. But the federal government dictates uh, what gets debated. Yeah. So you can introduce all you like, okay. but the federal government just didn't bring it on okay. for debate. Um, so just was constantly stalling it, except... Uh, back in 2018, David Lionhelm did a bit of horse trading uh, with Malcolm Turnbull and uh, brought his bill on for debate, which would have restored uh, territory rights. And he brought it on for debate uh, in the Senate and then a vote, and it lost 36 votes to 34. Oh. And Zed Seselja voted against okay. it. Um, and so uh, that would have brought the votes even, they still Mm. would have lost because an even vote gets Mm. negatived, but just one other person and it would have passed the Senate and then would have gone to the House. And I think that um, was a a point of enormous frustration for me, for the ACT Parliament. We passed a remonstrance motion, basically damning the the Federal (laughs) Senate for what it had done. And we presented that to them. Um, But I I think it it really showed that uh, Senator Seselja was not standing up for the interests of Canberrans um, okay. when we knew that people really wanted this. And then in the meantime, um, Victoria had already legislated for voluntary assisted dying at that stage, but in the years since, every other state has legislated. So we've got this okay. bizarre situation in Australia where you know, 97% of the population will have access to this mm. but not the territories because the federal government mm. or federal parliament banned it okay. 25 years ago. So that's what territory rights right. is all about. And so if that's restored, then we'll have will not be banned anymore 
and we can go ahead and have that conversation with the community about legislation and, and putting that to okay. a vote in the ACT and Parliament. And you think David, the independent David Pocock could be on board with that? He, Senator He has David Pocock. been very clear that he is. Okay. So that means okay. all of our federal representatives right. in the ACT are pro-territory okay. rights. Okay. All right. And so that's what it means for Canberra. It means yeah. – all right. It makes sense. And so with something like that – and that, that's very interesting that you, we brought that up, territory rights – being a um, so, for example, being a minister for arts, if you wanted to create a grant or do some kind of um, improvement with Canberra Theatre, for example, I mean, being a minister for multicultural affairs, you know, if you wanted to create a space where multicultural groups could gather and just meet, if, for example, human rights, if you wanted to increase the quota of refugees settling in. These kinds of things, How, to what extent do you have influence and to what extent can you just propose it to your party and what takes precedence? Like, would the theatre take precedence? Would the, the centre for the multicultural groups... You know, what would take precedence? How does that work? Yeah, it's a, a great question. <laughs> um, so, uh, it all, policy can be developed in different ways, mm -hmm. but one of the main ways in the Labor Party that policy is developed is through our conference, uh, which is held every year, and okay. this year it'll be in late August, and uh different parts of the party. So we've got policy committees. We've also got um, sub-branches, which are local um, uh, subsections of the party, okay. I suppose. So I'm in Belconnen sub-branch, oh, for example, okay. um, uh, as well as um, uh, other different aspects of the, the party. Some of our, our factions and our unions can all suggest ideas okay. that they want uh, ACT Labor or Federal Labor um, to consider as part of its policy platforms, whether now or into the future. Um, and uh, they can be proposed, voted on through those subsections and then presented at conference and then uh, the delegates to conference vote about whether that should become party policy or not. Um, so that really guides uh, a lot of oh, our, right. our decision making. Uh, and I think uh, th those documents are available online. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. uh, hundreds of pages long, but you can you can pull <laughs> them up and, and often uh, something might happen that has been voted on um, previously at a conference. Okay. So a really good example some things I brought to conference were a bulky waste pickup for Canberra, okay. um, green bins for Canberra, um, dog waste bins at yeah. dog parks. Those yeah. were motions that were moved at conference that then oh. became Labor Party policy, then became election commitments and then have been delivered. So um, it, it can be pretty fascinating if you're yeah. really interested in where did this idea even yeah. come from? Um, but there's other different ways as well. Uh, so sometimes it's responding to um, needs or demands or, or other commitments. But I think the Canberra Theatre, for example, that is a, a, a commitment of, of ours. It's an election commitment um, that we do need a new and upgraded uh, theatre. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, and we've already committed quite a lot of um, money towards feasibility studies, yeah. um, uh, really starting into the, the design work there. Um, and Hopefully we'll have some more to say over mm, the coming years mm. about that as well. Um, certainly we recognise the demand there, um, but also just being responsive to those changing okay. demands as well. Um, but where there's a dollar cost attached yeah. to it and you want to do something new, yeah. um, it's very rare that you can just do it. Okay. Uh, you usually need to go through um, the budget process, All right. um, which has to be endorsed by Cabinet. 
And then you would make the decision what portfolio needs what attention, what don't you, you would make that assessment mm. based on what evidence you're seeing in front of you. Exactly. And but I just didn't understand the and I'm um, thank you for explaining that the impact that a conference has, for example I just thought there's a the labor group are getting together and just having a yarn, you mm. know, what are you doing? What am I doing? <laughs> but it's actually you're actually putting forward what fe- things you feel are important and then the group votes on it and then that's taken into the actual value system all into the labour stream of different states and territories. Yeah, very often. That's I never knew that. Mm. That's incredible. So the um, conference is a, a real privilege to attend, okay. uh, to speak at. Uh, often you'll find that people, um, it, it's a contest essentially to become a delegate. So not, uh, we've got, you know, very large membership. Okay. And if everyone went, it yeah. would be pretty unwieldy. Mm. Mm. Um, so uh, there's a percentage of, of each kind of subgrouping I was talking yeah. about that attends. Okay. And uh, then, yeah, some ideas are really hotly contested. Uh, some ideas are passed unanimously. Yeah. Um, but there's usually quite a big agenda to work through. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, sometimes it's a, an opportunity for a chin wag and a catch up <laughs> or a yeah. bit of a celebration. Yeah. I, I suspect our conference will be a celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's definitely debates um, and debates about how our party is even organised um, come up as well. But okay. uh, quite a lot of policy debates too. And this is obviously just within the the, the restriction of the people who are present. So nobody's recording it. Nobody is putting it on social media. Oh, no, we can, yeah. You can do that? Yep. Oh, okay, so it's open for the public. Someone could just literally go in and record the whole thing, vlog it. So we often have media there. Okay. Uh, and I, I think the media's live blogged it in oh, previous okay. years. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. And there's that. usually um, usually something um, uh, of interest yeah. because it is a contest of ideas yes. sometimes. Oh, that's... Uh, and so, you know, reporting, there might be a bit of a tension within the party. Okay. Often it's really healthy tension yeah. um, a, as we work out, you know, what is out the school of thought mm, or which mm. direction do we want to go in. Okay. Um, so, no, it, it does get pretty widely uh, reported. But the, the link to all the work that we're doing there to what um, might be the actual impact on people's lives... Yeah, it might not be as as well understood. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings me to my next question. When you want to find a solution, like say, for example, the Canberra Theatre, for example, let's just take that just as say, or anything you'd like to talk about. But can you take me through the process of how do you find a solution to a problem? So, for example, in the entrepreneurial space, when you see a problem, the entrepreneur creates a solution to, you know, you need to put something down, they create a pen. In the government stance, when you see a problem, there is not enough entertainment, more tourism needs to come in, for example, create jobs. Mm-hmm. So do, the solution is do you upgrade? How do you match a problem to solution? How do you find that match in government? Great question. Different ways. <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't mean that facetiously. I, I mean it in, in it depends what the problem is. Okay. So we've just got lots of different levers that are available to us. So as I said, some things do require money. Uh, and so if they do... Usually, they have to go through a budget process unless it can be internally absorbed. Um, But usually, a a directorate's budget uh, has been organised the year before for all the things that it said it was going to do. And so, finding extra money can be be quite hard. Mm -hmm. We don't really build in any fat uh, that we can just draw on. That just wouldn't be a good use uh, of the, the public's money. 
Um, but there are other levers available to us as well, so legislative. Um, so if we identify a problem that we uh, want to fix or, or address, often legislation uh, okay. is the fix, okay. which changes how we might do something or think about something. Okay. Um, uh, but to get to that legislative change, mm. sorry to cut you off, are you um, – so say, for example, this brilliant space that you've got here, this podcast space that we're broadcasting from – it's a, uh, it's a government initiative. You guys have done all of this. You came to the community, asked the community, what do you want? They said a podcast space, which was like spot on. Do you guys do that like in legislative change? Do you ask what is it that you're wanting or do you assume that, you know, I've spoken to them last month or three months ago. This is what I feel is the need that's changed for the legislation. Yeah, uh, another excellent question. Um, it depends a little bit, um, but it's usually not come from nowhere. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah, because okay. we've recognised there's a need, something needs to change. Okay. It's been brought to our intention either internally or externally. There's something that we need to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, or um, someone's lobbying, yeah, calling for something. Okay. We want to see this change. And uh, so generally what happens is we don't just go and do it and introduce it and it gets passed. Particularly as a government, um, the cabinet process, again, is really important. Mm-hmm. And as a Labor Party, we've got a caucus process as well. So within our own party, yeah. making sure that we're all comfortable with yeah. the, what we're proposing to do. Um, but usually we need to seek um, from our cabinet colleagues um, authority uh, to pursue this, to... to so identifying that there's a need, I propose to do mm. this. Do you agree? Yes, no. If okay. there's agreement, then go away, um, draft up some legislation or create a different policy. Uh, and then uh, you might um, probably bring that back to your colleagues and say, I said there was a problem. We agreed I would do something. This is what I'm proposing to do. Does that meet everyone's expectations and then Mm -hmm. um, that's probably at the point where it would be introduced into parliament. But sometimes if legislation is um, quite new Mm -hmm. or complex, um, it it doesn't just automatically get passed Um, and sometimes before it's even introduced, you want to socialise it again with the community. And something really important that we're working on at the moment in my space is the Multicultural Recognition Act. Um, right. which is a, a brand new piece of legislation. We're not amending anything. It's right. brand new, never been done before in the ACT. And uh, and it looks to establish a multicultural charter, essentially eight principles of who we want to be as a multicultural Ooh. city um, uh, and what the government declares to each okay. and every citizen of the ACT in legislation, wow. um, as well as formalising um, the establishment of the Multicultural Ministerial Advisory Council. So exists but this would make sure that it's in legislation legislation once created and passed is pretty hard to change Mm -hmm. so that's one of the reasons for doing that Um, and so that will be introduced into parliament later this year but it's something that's out for consultation at the moment in a draft form um, so that we can just make sure that we've got it right. Okay. And if I go right back to the beginning of this, um, it's a it's been a, a piece of legislation that was proposed uh, by the Ministerial Advisory Council, um, then became an election commitment for us. Then it's been in the parliamentary and governing agreement, essentially okay. our to-do list. Um, and uh, But again sought that authority from our um, um, from within government 
then had a conversation with the community about what they would like to see in oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And it's then so went away and drafted it. And then, yeah. So that's exactly. why it takes a bit of time to you get can. this all wrong. Not everything is like okay. that. Okay. Okay. But you can understand a piece of legislation that has an impact um, and potentially means something to yeah. every single person yeah. in the city mm. uh, and is something that was born from a community request or mm. desire is something that we do want to make sure the community feels um, heard yeah. and reflected and that uh, what we pass as legislation um, is reflective of, of what they Fair um, enough. want. That's excellent. And, and I know I, I looked at you've got something caring for your money initiative. That's an initiative where cold women, like um, women from non-English speaking backgrounds, mm. can go and learn about how to manage money or how to learn just budgeting and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think that's a brilliant initiative. And that's being taken care of by the ACT government for them to be able to do. By Arlo. Arlo, sorry, pardon me, Arlo. Yes, that's right. So uh, this has come about, um, we have um, some grants that we um, uh, have that can be applied for every year. And Arlo applied for a grant. That's Because that's going to be my question. So Mm. how if someone's listening, well, I've got an opportunity that I think would benefit X cohort in Canberra. So it's through the grants that they would get your attention and this would go ahead. Yeah, exactly right. So, yeah, if there's something that uh, you need a little bit of, um, or a lot in some cases, (laughs) uh, funding to get off the ground, a bit of extra support, um, the ACT government through all sorts of different things. We've got multicultural grants, um, both for um, participation of the multicultural communities, Mm -hmm. uh, but also um, grants for participating in the National Multicultural Festival because we know it costs. Um, Those are available uh, each year year for people to apply for organizations to apply for to do something so Arlo was a a successful grant recipient uh, and is now running this program got it got it so where can people go to actually get those grants like is it www.actgov.au grants grants. okay sweet and so um now that the labor is in do you have any ambitions in federal do you have any federal ambitions? No. No? Why? Why? Um, because... If you can do six portfolios, <laughs> you can do foreign minister. <laughs> I'll show you how it's done. <laughs> uh, I'm very happy with, uh, with Penny Wong in that, in that role, I've got to say. I, I think she's just an absolute powerhouse. But um, no, I think for, for me, um, I really like being able to see um, the 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 direct impact uh, of our decisions yeah. and our actions whether it's on a, a really local level you know I got that street light fixed mm, or yeah, yeah. Um, we got a new playground or and got the lake cleaned or whatever it is um, I really like seeing that day-to-day okay. action okay. whereas I think federally um, there's a there's incredible way to, to change and shape the nation um, but some of those things also take a take little bit time, longer yes. yeah. or they're a little bit less tangible mm, uh, mm. whereas I really like to see the the products of my efforts no, fair um, enough. and I've I've still got a lot more to do in the yeah. ACT yeah do you have your eye on the chief minister spot? no okay. <laughs> I won't tell no, him I like I, I won't I've already interviewed him <laughs> like I totally won't tell no. him <laughs> no I'm very happy with my portfolio mix um <laughs> But no, but but uh, but I and I ask that just because um, you know being in your role and then where's the next step from here? Like if you wanted to like still be a politician, mm. still work for Canberra, like is there a, this is this is it? This is where you're you're at the spot, like you're on the spotlight, like this is where it's at for you. Yeah, well, look, I I think for me, 
I'm not going to be a politician forever. And I, okay. you know, I'm 35. Uh, and so if I was a politician until retirement age, that is uh, almost <laughs> longer than the ACT parliaments exist <laughs> currently. So that's uh, hard to even get my head around. Mm. But, um, you know, I'd, I've got a lot that I want to do. Okay. Um, I feel like I've done a lot, but there's a lot more that I want to do. Uh, Outside of politics? No, no. Uh, in Within po- politics. In politics. Okay. Um, uh, certainly have a to-do list, but I've also only been a minister for a year and a half. And um, so uh, I wouldn't say I'm still getting my, my feet under the desk, um, but it has been a steep learning yeah. curve and yeah. a lot of different interesting areas to get my head across. Um, and uh, I, I love my portfolio mm. mix. So in terms of you know next steps, no, it's, it's achieving in these portfolios okay. and, and that's really where my focus is directed. Brilliant. And just, just on the question of, because um, before you wrap up, the question of campaigning, does it cost a lot of money to run your own campaign after you've been pre-selected? So we're limited in the ACT by how much money we can spend campaigning, which is great because oh, it makes it very yeah. even and it's not about how many people do you know who can yeah. give you really big donations. Mm. Um, so in the Labor Party, generally our budget is about Twelve to fifteen thousand dollars for a candidate—it's tiny, um, and so that really puts the focus on having conversations, things okay. that are free. Yes, uh, yes, but time and effort essentially is and, work hard. Um, and, but that's your funding. That like it comes from the candidates. Uh, so the All the the party um, does. Uh, uh, a bit of a central campaign. Okay. Um, but in addition to that, uh, we do our own fundraising as well okay. um, that forms basically mm, that mm. twelve or 15000 okay. So some people fund it entirely themselves. Uh, other people do spend a bit of time fundraising. Depends on different yeah. circumstances. Fair enough. All right. Well, then, the, before I let you go, Minister, mm. I've just got a rapid fire round. It's oh. <laughs> First answer is the right answer. <laughs> okay, that's okay. how we're going up. So this is just real, you know, whatever comes to your mind. Okay. There's no right or wrong here. Do you prefer texting or talking? Texting. Oh, high five to that. <laughs> What's given you more opportunity? Who you know or what you know? Uh, what? What you know. Yes. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, my. Okay. And is but it not to say that who you know hasn't been, been a part has it of helped? it. Okay. But, but I think... What I've known and and being just so curious about information uh, and being able to share that has probably been the biggest benefit to me in my career in all steps. Beautiful. Is it harder or easier for women to be in politics? It's hard but getting easier. Okay. Particularly because we've got more women. Okay. Uh, And more women, I think, makes it uh, a more equal space, obviously. Mm. Um, But women's ideas and aspirations are also reflected in the decisions that we take, Mm. whether it's in policy or whether it's in the way the party or the government or the parliament organises itself. So I think in the ACT in particular, um, really thanks to a lot of reforms that Katie Gallagher led when she was chief minister, Mm. the way the parliament operates is really family friendly. Um, So... um, uh, I think it is easier thanks to the people who've come before us and, okay. and hopefully people like me and my colleagues, we can make it even easier, easier for the next generation. Super. So what, how, if you were to explain to a 10-year-old what politics is, is it a sport that you need to compete in? Is it an instrument that needs to be well played? Or is it like what Ronald Reagan said, it's like a stage? 
Oh, and you're all on three. show. All three. Yeah? All three. But okay. I think most of all it's about service right. and a love for your community. Mm. Where would you go if you were invisible? <laughs> oh. um. See how Penny Wong does things, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's true. That's true. Um, oh, gosh. There's not a lot that I, I don't think I, I, I need to know, but I... Uh, a bit cheekily, I suppose, there, there have been some times where uh, you you just know that something has happened in the Liberal Party. <laughs> and you just go, I wonder what happened this morning. Um, okay. uh, and it's probably not very exciting ultimately. Uh, but you know when you know and no one's saying anything, but you just know. Okay. Right. Yeah, fair enough. That's very cheeky. Fair What's the easiest part of your job? Um. Uh, I would say talking to people, which is easy and hard, mm. um, but probably the thing I get the, the most enjoyment from is um, is learning people's stories and using mm. that to, to really motivate me and, um, and to hopefully make the best decisions. Yeah. And what's the hardest part about your job? Um, being in 10 different headspaces yeah, at once. Yeah, I can um, imagine. And, and I, I, I joke... Um, that I, I feel like I've I've almost perhaps developed ADHD over <laughs> over the time, and I and I um, and I, I don't mean that lightly either. Mm. Um, but sometimes it is very hard to to concentrate, and it's okay. easy to be thinking of four other things that then yeah. are taking your attention, and sometimes just focusing to get the email done or to to read the two hundred page brief yeah. when all these other things are happening. Yeah. That can be really hard. Okay. And I think just jumping from portfolio to portfolio are you the type of person that takes work home uh or do you discipline yourself i'm pretty good at a point where i stop i oh, stop good. okay uh, except for social media okay uh, <laughs> well i i think especially in this in this generation that uh people do expect you to be available mm -hmm. um and uh and to be somewhat responsive okay all right what do you believe that others think is crazy Oh. Um, I really believe that the USA is a fantastic place. Oh. <laughs> um, and uh, which, um, but if I can briefly explain, um, I just, I visited there a few times. I'm going again, hopefully in a few weeks um, mm. for leisure. And I just think it's an incredible country melting mm -hmm. pot every state is so different mm. the people are just so hospitable and so passionate and passionate uh, and i think the a lot of the negatives uh, yeah. that we see out of the usa does not really reflect um, what it's like to be there on the ground okay. and i've done a lot of solo traveling there as a woman okay. and i've been um, by and large really respected okay. people looking out for me mm. making me feel welcome and and being friendly and i i think that's the bit that that is not seen yeah. out of the USA. But I, I think a lot of people go, oh, my gosh, why do you want to travel there? I'd never want to go there. Um, <laughs> but, but that's why. Oh, good on you. And then finally, Tara, how do you want to be remembered in your role? Uh, I'd like to be remembered as someone who cared um, mm. and that uh, made a difference. And mm. I, I know that every politician says that, um, but I, I hope I made a difference for the better uh, and that people felt that, uh, things improve for the better um, by having me in this role. Oh, Minister Chain, thank you so much for oh, being on the podcast. You. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Oh, it's been the pleasure's all mine, thank honestly. You. Uh, thank you for such wonderful questions.